Welcome to Wanderings and Wool Gathering, episode 14. Like the moon waxing for 13 days before it reaches its potential on the 14th, episode 13 has matriculated to episode 14, an episode full of conversations that just might change the world and will surely make a full moon pale in comparison. I'm Foggy, and waxing with me tonight are T-Bags and JPP. Good evening, fellas. Good evening. What up, fellas? Fix that. <laughs> That's a dope track. Have you been working with a producer? I have. What up, fellas? What up, fellas? Yeah. That was lame. What up, fellas? Let's fix it. What up? There we go. That's better. <laughs> What up, what up, what up, what up, what up, fellas? Yeah. <laughs> Introduce that That's as right. Wolfman Jack. What up, fellas? What up, fellas? <laughs> I was uh, cleaning the, the room the other day. My daughter wants to play with this thing really badly, but uh, it's my old, it's my first keyboard I ever got. Casio SK1. Nice. And, nice. Uh, yeah, when I was in fifth grade, I begged for this thing, and my parents were like, uh, man, that's a lot of money. It was like 89 bucks. Nowadays, mm-hmm. we're just like, hey, no problem. I'll buy a memory card for that. You know, it's like we just dropped that, like, no, no big deal. But mm-hmm. um, once they got it, I couldn't put it down. They had to get me headphones, so I wouldn't bother them with it, you know. I, uh, you know made all sorts of noise in this thing. I probably burped in it and made music I don't know how many times because, you know, I was a child of the 80s and the gross humor was was my thing. But, um, yeah, so I pulled it out and put some uh, batteries in it and still runs like a like a champ. So um, I'm probably going to mess with it a little bit and do some music with Kiddo. She's really looking forward to it. So. That's cool. That is very cool. Maybe, maybe <laughs> you can make some outro music with that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> It'd be a, a lot of fun. I think, uh, you know, there's some, some merit to that. I actually saw a video of a guy, he produced a song entirely using the SK-1. He sampled into it and then chopped up the preset rhythms and, and made his own little uh, kind of 80s song about thank you for the weekend and everything. It was it was kind of cool. And I was like, man, I'm going to have to mess with mine, not to copy him, but definitely see what, what I can muster up with it. Yeah. Yeah, that is sweet. Next week will be our year in review show, so perhaps uh, you can come up with something year in review e <laughs> on on that sweet machine. There you yeah. go. <laughs> All right. Well, let's kick off the show with um, last week's challenge. Last episode's challenge, actually, it was two weeks ago, um, and that was presented by JPP. So you want to remind everybody what that challenge was, and then we'll dig in. Yeah, um, I've had a nap since then, but uh, if I remember correctly. I basically had uh, said, uh, you know, pick a favorite producer or two, and then essentially, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, what, what they've worked on that uh, really moved you. Also, um, if there's a band you'd like to hear that producer collaborate with, um, you know, and what, how you would kind of see their sound or their style lend to a, a particular artist or band's sound, essentially. Yeah, that was... Um... It was pretty difficult for me, as I am the most musically challenged of this group when it comes to production. Um, I'll just I'll go ahead and go first because I'm sure I will have the least to say. Tea bags will have 25 choices, um, <laughs> and then you'll get super technical and everybody will get drunk. So, um, surprisingly, I didn't go with anything rush this week. So, wow, that's a that's a. I just said that for a drink. <laughs> nice. 
You are drinking too. Right? I've got a Manhattan. I thought you had some right here, my friend. Yes, sir. It's the weekly one, so there it is. Loving it. Anyway. Well, it is middle of the week, so you're allowed. <clears throat> I worked out really hard earlier. I deserve this. So <laughs> Precisely. Split. But anyway, so um, I went with Brian Eno. Um, just because it's such an odd dude, um, kind of outside the mold. He's worked with so many different types of bands, uh, Devo, Depeche Mode, Talking Heads, David Bowie, uh, James, if you remember from the late 80s, early mm -hmm. 90s, and mm -hmm. um, U2, which was probably where I first really latched on to, um, to him as a producer. Um, I love this quote, and I thought this was so cool. It was uh, from Bono. And it said, you should never work with people who are your fans, in my opinion. I knew he wasn't a fan of us. It was one of the reasons we got to work with him. I wanted to know the other side of the argument. I knew what was right about us. I wanted to find out what wasn't. So in that regards, uh, I love the idea of somebody like that coming in um, and really digging into to a band like that and teaching the band and then ultimately making them better. Um, and obviously we got Joshua Tree out of that, which was just probably one of my top 10 favorite albums. Uh -huh. um, maybe we'll have to do a top 10 list at some point for albums, although Tony will have 100, so <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure we can do that. So you guys want to weigh in before I, I pick the band for him to work with? Yeah, I, I was going to say, if Tony does a top 10, it'll become logarithmic, so um, we'll just have to live stream that one. <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. It'll be to the 10th power. But... <laughs> Um, I would, I mean, I think that's a great choice. Brian Eno is awesome. Um, I'm interested to see who you have him working with, but that, uh, what you just said about the, you know, you know, what's right with the band, I'd like to see the other side of the argument again. I mean, I talk about this a lot, but I love when people come from an artistic place where they're open to being vulnerable. And I think part of that being an artist is, uh, making those choices, getting that feedback and making those choices, whether it sits with you right or not but being, you know, uh, willing to change if necessary, if you feel like it's the right thing for the project. So, um, yeah, I never really thought about that, how easy it would be to have just bring somebody in that's a fan. So, great quote. Well, that, um, yeah. And I think you get more of the same if exactly. you do that, really. I mean, they're just going to pump you up and everything. And I also like the, the idea that he is a self-described non-musician. So you get something bring, come to the party as far as the album goes, it doesn't just necessarily have to do with the drums or, you know, guitar or whatever. So right. I dug that. I do want to add one thing about, about Brian. You know, he's got an album called My Life in the Bush of Ghosts. I'm not sure if you've ever heard it or not, but it's kind of an ambient album. Um, mm -hmm. I bought it years ago, and, and uh, I listen to it occasionally, and, and I've never gotten rid of it. Um, I've kept it in, in my collection. But uh, the main reason why I, I want to bring it up is because it's kind of like my one CD that sticks out to me because my dad got me an autographed Walter Payton Thousand Yard Club card uh, mm -hmm. after they won the Super Bowl in the 80s. And um, full disclosure, my dad uh, worked at a place up by an Air Force base and Walter Payton visited uh, the Air Force base and forgot a couple of those cards in the limo and my dad knew the limo driver and said hey he won't come back for these you can have one he's like i'll give it to my son so i stashed oh. that card in that cd so it's kind of like my little hiding spot to make sure i know where to find it um so every time i think brian you know i think of walter payton even though they're not completely related and that's why i did it so that way i'll remember that 
Although they, I don't know if you know this or not, but Brian Eno produced Super Bowl Shuffle. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but I know cool if it was right now. Uh, anyway. I wish it was true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then it would come full circle. Yes. So much better. Good night, folks. <laughs> so who'd you pick uh, okay. to have Brian Eno work with? Uh, I picked him to work with Stone Sour. Um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, well, obviously, you know, I love Corey Taylor and, and what mm-hmm. he does in both of his bands. Um, I would never have anybody touch what Slipknot does because they just, it's all emotion and grinding it out and everything. So I wouldn't have anybody touch that. But in his, in Stone Sour, he gets to, you know, diversify a little bit and he changes the music up quite a bit. They've already done... Uh, two concept albums, part one and part two, House of Golden Bones. They even did a comic book for it, uh, which was pretty cool. So I know they would be in for more of a conceptual feel. Um, and then the music is so diverse compared. You get songs um, like Through Glass, um, which is pretty much a pop ballad. And then you get you know songs like 303150, which is a good hard rock song. Um, on the recent album, it's super hard rocky, but then you've got a country song in St. Marie, um, so he's well-rounded. There's lots there. I just think somebody like Brian Eno could tie it all together and really pull the perfect, uh, maybe not necessarily a concept album, but maybe more musically concept album. Um, and I think he would be willing because he's certainly out there doing all kinds of different things. So that would be my choice. That would be interesting for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, Eno's um, characteristics, like I said, with the ambient stuff, he'd mm-hmm. probably make it more textural and mm-hmm. um, certainly atmospheric. And, uh, no, I, I think it would be a, an interesting challenge for both parties to work together. And, you know, at the end of the day, put it on film and document it and see if they survive when it's all over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd love to see uh, or hear his voice over a soundscape from Brian Eno. That, that would be super interesting. <laughs> Seriously, mm-hmm. I mean, I I went on a just a side note from that. I, I got on a real big like rabbit hole binge type thing of Corey Taylor's uh, cover songs. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, I I like all the original stuff that he's doing too, and the things you're introducing introducing me to, Stevie. But um, my gosh, he can cover about any song, and uh, yeah, he's he's his so talented. Voice is super talented. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. Now, just I'm not going to re recount it here, but <clears throat> look up how he recorded the song Iowa from the album Iowa. Okay. You're talking about artistry in the oddest sense. So it's, it's quite the story, but you got to read it. So check that out. Definitely. All right. That's it for me. I guess that brings us to uh, tea bags because Paul issued the challenge. This will be the halftime show folks. So it'll go on a while, right? (laughs) Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm feeling like I should just, out of spite, just keep coming up with people at this point. <laughs> Make this like a four-hour <laughs> show. But I was actually kind, and uh, I have honorable mentions, but I narrowed it down to two. Mm-hmm. Um, and oddly, my my number two, and not number one, is Trent Reznor. So I think no, he um, has... <laughs> He has proven himself as a producer. I think, you know, early on he was handed the reins to help out with like the natural born killer soundtrack and things where he was getting his feet wet, um, in that world. But I think since then, you know, just diving into scores and 
and having other bands like Marilyn Manson and 12 rounds. And, um, what was, what was it Two Paul with the, the guy from Judas priest? Do you remember? Yeah, I think that sounds right. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, and then Saul Williams, he's, he's kind of, you know, diversified himself a little bit and, and taken some other people under his wing. So anyway, I think he, uh, earned his keep as a producer. And that's that's my uh, number two choice, but I won't tell you who who he's working with. If you guys want to weigh in on your thoughts on Trent Reznor, and this will make or break our friendship. <laughs> well, you know, I, <laughs> I you know I adore Trent Reznor's work. I know I, I've since I first heard him, I've been a, a huge fan. I was always fascinated with uh, Pretty Hate Machine, just for the fact that it was heavy without being completely distorted guitars the whole time you know what i mean just uh-huh. the lyrical content the the drive of of you know the tunes and, and things like that i mean gosh so you know he certainly turned me onto a new realm of being deep with music without having such aggression constantly you know what i mean it changed the energy but but certainly taught me that you know music can be powerful in different ways so, um, no, I, I totally understand. And, and I know we, we talk about him a lot and, and, you know, kind of fanboy, but when it comes down to it, it what he's touched and what he's done, uh, for a style of music has, has certainly, um, you know, has created a legacy and, and it's widespread now. Um, mm-hmm. there's, you know, through the years, there's, there's a lot of groups that I hear nowadays that will have a, a gritty texture while industrial music itself kind of plays that as a whole, I feel like Reznor uh, bringing it to, you know, more of a, a larger scale of attention um, played a part in, in that. So I always associate it with him before I would uh, just in general uh, industrial music, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And for me, um, I, I love the music, but what I really like is it kind of reinvents himself. Um, and you know my affinity for concept type albums, and it seems like he constantly reinvents that and comes out with a new concept for each thing. So that's really where where I love him, and the fact that he was going to work with Grant Morrison. So you yes. can't miss there. <laughs> but yeah, he's top notch. I'm really not surprised that he was your number two. I mean, that's the easy go to, but you you have such vast knowledge of music and people that I'm not surprised there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and. Um... And just a note on producers. I mean, the fact that I think Trent, you know, he was a guy coming from pop music, pop music background, you know, being in these, these other bands and then, you know, playing saxophone and being classically trained on the piano, all of these things leading into, but also like in, you know, ministry and throbbing crystal and things that were out there. And, you know, so this, this boy from Pennsylvania, you know, finding his way through really did something solid with pretty hate machine, but it was, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this is a judgment, but it was amateur if you hear the the first production of it by himself until mm-hmm. Flood got a hold of it. And so that shows like the real role of a producer sometimes is Pretty Hate Machine is a different album, even though it was Trent's concept and, and mostly his sound. Um, Flood really took it to the next level. And then Trent later on and, you know, became a producer himself. So mm-hmm. anyway, just since we're on the role of producer, it is super important, I think, in a lot of ways especially with the music that we listen to um precisely so i wanted him to work with i don't know if you guys have heard of her but uh meg myers you guys familiar with her i'm not not. okay um so the backstory to that is there's this like you know skinny little innocent looking uh girl uh, 
I'm watching this Lala Blues set, you know, late at night at this like down the rabbit hole, just trying to find new artists. And uh, Meg Myers, never heard of her. It's like 2014, and and she starts playing. You know, she's got this big bass and whatever, and everything is like kind of dark. It's poppy, but it's got that like undertone of like almost tongue in cheek. Like the poppiness is just for, to hook you in, but the message is pretty dark. Um, and she's got a lot of emotion and a lot of kind of craziness going on. So anyway, I, I've been following her career. She had a new album out this year that was really good. Um, I'll send you guys a few things. Like, uh, there's a song called Monster you should listen to. That's pretty good. There's a song called Jealousy I, off this new one. I just pulled it up on uh, on Apple, and there's a lot of songs. There's a lot of music going back to 13. Yeah, and she's uh, and and she does fall into like the pop world a little bit. Um, but so you know, digging into it like I normally do with artists, watching all of her interviews and stuff like that, she comes out and says she's a Nine Inch Nails fan. You know, and she's kind of inspired by them at sometimes, even though her music doesn't always reflect that. But um, you'll get it if you see some of these videos too. But anyway, because that she has, I've seen her grow as an artist since then too, and find her way and have influences that are similar to bands that I already like. I think Trent Reznor, it's almost in that way that Marilyn Manson had its thing going, and I I think arguably one of the best albums of Marilyn Manson was Antichrist Superstar and I think that was when Reznor finally got a hold of them and put his heart and soul into it and helped them launch their career beyond the the first album so anyway uh, I'll stop talking about her but it would be a very interesting thing and the only other female that I really recognized Trent working with on on any major level was Karen O for the uh, covering that Led Zeppelin song for the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo soundtrack Mm. And just no, hearing that one song, having him give some grittiness to kind of a, an odd, weird, great female, I think him and Meg Myers would pair nicely. Very cool. And I'm glad you said the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo soundtrack. I've That's one that I listened to quite a bit when it first came out, and then it got mm-hmm. shelved, just busy, you know, yep. forgot about it. And so mm-hmm. I need to dig that out and get back on it. Yeah. That was a fantastic uh, cover. Yeah, certainly. Alrighty, cool. Steve. If you don't have anything to weigh in on, we'll move on to Paul. What, you you don't have somebody else? Oh, I've got more, but we can come back. Let's let, right. let let's let the listeners breathe. <laughs> I'm talking to you, metalhead metalhead Monday. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I kept it pretty simple, really, um, for for mine, um, and it might throw you guys a little left of center in, in terms of what I normally listen to and what I talk about versus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know who I selected. There's a gentleman by the name of Mutt Lang. You ever heard of him? No. He uh, is uh, you know a prominent producer from the late '70s and '80s on, and uh, some of his famous albums include ACDC's "Highway to Hell," "Back in Black," hmm. uh, Def Leppard from their first album and through Hysteria. Essentially, he's worked with the Cars. He did uh, drones with Muse. Uh, worked with Brian Adams, Shania Twain, Huey Lewis in the News, Lady Gaga, or if you're Zach Galifianakis, Lady Gaga, um, <laughs> and even uh, collaborated with Celine Dion too. Now, as funny as it may sound, you know me picking him. There's there's reason. Um, so I played that SK1 a little bit ago, the Casio, and at that time. 
when we were listening to Z93, folks, you know, yes. not the 92.5 that it is today, um, as kids, Def Leppard was on the airwaves all the time. And Hysteria was, you know, just huge, blown up. I, I feel like that album was on rotation for five solid years. Um, just the various singles that they released. And, you know, really, people loved that album you know many may kind of dog on it now but in the grand scheme of things it's still a classic and just solid record and mutt was really the reason behind that um he was very good at shaping sound if you listen to shania twain's recordings that he produced and even some of brian adams work uh, you know and compare it with uh, especially hysteria and pyromania you will hear consistency in the guitars and the drums and just the production style i mean of course he's consistent but you know he stayed in that pop realm and he was really fascinated with country more than he was rock originally um, from what i looked him up on wikipedia uh but he uh, uh did some unique things one thing that he did that um i really liked was on the song hysteria when uh, the guitars come in in the bridge before the chorus, they just have this real glassy tone. And I, I read about the process, and, and I'm going to go a little in the weeds here, so bear with me. Uh-huh. Instead of playing the chord as a whole and just strumming, they wanted it to sound uniform so all the strings attacked at the same time, but not be a keyboard. So they took the guitar and recorded each string of that chord individually twice so they double tracked it so it thickened each note and then they layered each voice on top of each other so it's just like bam and it just really attacked very well and just little approaches and nuances to create and shape a sound like that where that you know once i got into beyond learning how to play an instrument and learning how sound was shaped and what determined made the album and things like that um Mm -hmm. that really stood out to me so He's kind of like that first guy that I really researched and, and was kind of like my fledgling um, look and study of, of producers and production. So he gets my top pick there for sure. Um, you know, and you can't go wrong with, you know, Highway to Hell and Back in Black. You hear those, yeah, they're going to stand out. I mean, that mm-hmm. guitar tone is just blasting you in the face. And even with Def Leppard, you know, the big drum sounds. I mean, I know there's electronic production because, of course, the drummer had one arm, but give him props he can still play the drums he overcame that obstacle so Uh um you know nonetheless he just really shaped an era of music in that decade so he gets my my top nod and of course you know who who would i pick for him to work with i mean there's a lot of different groups i'd like to hear him work with but metallica is very particular about their guitar sound i'd like to see those two battle it out and see who would win on on shaping a record i think it would be cool to have mutt approach some of the nuances that he did with some of those earlier records and and uh you know especially if metallica is doing something different like they did in the uh the you know late 90s early 2000s when they covered like whiskey in the jar and turn the page and things like that i think mm-hmm. his influence on on that type of sound would be an interesting uh perspective and an interesting shape yes yeah, that is interesting um first of all the uh if you if anybody missed it him talking about the strings being recorded that was your cue to drink and <laughs> i was watching our video feed and i saw steve drink so uh, yeah no but Good. i love that technical aspect that you're talking about and i was really interested to hear your answer because of that um and uh i you know 
some of that stuff does go well it obviously it goes without people noticing it's just the song comes out and that's how they hear it but um yeah i mean uh the the metallica too that would be super interesting and i don't i don't i didn't know the guy you're talking about so i'm gonna have mm-hmm. to go back and look this up yeah yeah definitely and you know he's it's one of those guys that you know in in those that are into the technical aspect they know who he is he's a legend in the in the industry but um you know if you just listen to songs and and don't dig any deeper then you know you just kind of take it for granted but um you know i dug into to his you know information a lot early on i was reading like tape op magazine and things like that and just finding articles and once the internet broke out i I looked him up further you know as as a high schooler and stuff so um you know definitely had a, a cool um uh, you know, impact on me is what I'm trying to get at. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's interesting. The producers are almost like the unsung heroes because yeah. neither one of us really knew who Mutt Lang was, but then you gave all your uh, references, and I knew all of them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So we knew him, but we didn't know him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those guys definitely are doing the doing the labor behind the project. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did, that, that just reminds mm-hmm. me, and so since we're having analogies here, we just, uh, me and a couple people I work with, we just edited a video and put it out there and the feedback was positive, but it was all like congratulating the actors and, you know, great job guys. Right. And, and I don't care about <laughs> that because I, I don't do any of this for the ego side of it, but I explained to my team too, like, look, if you're, if you're looking for like accolades, don't be on the editing side of this, you know, but it right. is the unsung heroes a lot of times that just make because paul you know too from video editing like that's where it really comes together and you can you can recraft the story in editing and so with music i mean if you have somebody that knows what they're doing has a vision and i think can have that that process in their mind of how to get to that place that's where it becomes so super valuable and then like you said steve we know all the people that they produce (laughs) but at the same time i mean how nice to uh cash those checks but still be able to walk mm-hmm. down the street unnoticed <laughs> right exactly <laughs> and so. to your point not to to dig too deep but uh same with live sound engineers too those are mm-hmm. also unsung heroes in that you know if a band sounds great people are praising the band i used to run sound for groups through the years and mm-hmm. you know if the band was not on on point uh people usually looked back at me and blamed me well turn that up fix that you know and it's right. not my not my problem i can't help but the bass player is drunk and can't hold a note don't look at me <laughs> you know what i mean and there was a yeah. guy that uh, he did a seminar for a store i worked at years ago talking about mixing for church and stuff and um mm-hmm. he said you know he ran into issues where the musicians weren't super professional sometimes or they just weren't completely experienced i should say yeah. and uh so anytime there would be an issue somebody looked back at him he had a shirt it's it said turn back around i heard it too (laughs) (laughs) that's great you know what night after night consistently uh whoever whoever was doing sound for the showbiz pizza place just nailed it (laughs) i don't think i ever had a bad experience there that was the cassette tape and uh (laughs) you know a round of applause for the guy that pushed play pre-mixed yes (laughs) Uh, steve do you have anybody else since we're going around the horn I do have uh, one honorable mention, okay. um, and I think I think we're going to have to do some top ten type album, top five album things coming up pretty soon. But sure. I, I haven't really placed them all yet. But definitely, if not my top, be my number two album of all time would be Siamese Dream from Smashing Pumpkins. Mm. Um, and so I almost went with Butch Vig, 
And yeah. the interesting thing there is, it's, you know, the recording of that album, I'm not so sure how much of his input into the music was as important as keeping the band together. There was a lot of fighting. Uh, Jimmy was uh, pretty heavy into drugs at that point. That was prior to him, you know, getting kicked out of the band for drugs and all that kind of stuff. So uh, Butch Vig did some serious work to keep the band together and get that album produced. And it is, gosh, I I don't want to just come out and say it's my number one album of all time because we're going to do a list, but it's got to be one or two. Um, so Butch Vig was my honorable mention. That's a great honorable mention. I mean, mm. talk about like start listing off people that people have helped with. You go and look who Butch Vig has helped, and yeah. you'll know every single one of them. <laughs> yep. Yeah, his stories on Nirvana's Nevermind is really fascinating. Just, um, you know, talking about was the song something in the way and how mm-hmm. they weren't getting the vibe in the in the room when Kurt was in there recording, but then they were messing with some stuff. So Kurt's laying on the couch and just kind of subtly playing, and he was like, "Wait a second. He went and grabbed some mics and just told Kurt stay on the couch, hit record, and said do that again, and and he just laid on the couch and just casually played huh. it and caught that moment, and that became the take for the album. You know, so it's things like that that just you know they're paying attention to details that the artist might be hung up in a process or or just kind of the the vibe is off because they feel intimidated by the room but then when he's in a different position he can totally you know deliver and and make the the final result that uh, is not necessarily in a traditional way yeah that's a good point i think that's where the artistry comes in beyond the technical side mm-hmm. that's cool um well I, i'm gonna go into my number one and i have some honorable mentions but i'll just fly through those at the end but for my number one um, still sticking in the Nine Inch Nails camp, though, but beating out Trent Reznor is Atticus Ross. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like, and anybody that's followed Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails, he, you know, for the longest time, was very adamant that Nine Inch Nails is Trent Reznor. And there was a rotating band of people, you know, either in the studio or live on stage, but it was always down to Trent. And so for him to trust Atticus enough to bring him in, work with him so long and then actually make him part of Nine Inch Nails, uh, that, that says something. But the other thing that says something is the music that they actually produce together and where I've seen Atticus take Nine Inch Nails, especially live. I mean, if you you guys weren't, haven't seen them yet, but even the, you can compare stuff even on YouTube. Atticus has made a huge difference on a band that I love already. So, um, and he's very technical. And if you listen to the process, a lot of times Trent will say that he just like plays a bunch of stuff and it's just being recorded. And um, and then he'll leave for a while, and when he comes back, Atticus kind of has something going out of the pieces and the parts and some of the mixing going. So um, he's obviously got vision, too. Um, so who I'd like to see him work with, because this is the only one of the three bands that I feel like Maynard would allow that to happen, uh, but I think Pucifer has that experimental vibe but keeps Maynard on vocals and brings in Karina Round, who is just incredible. Um, so I would love to see Atticus kind of oversee a project there with Pucifer. That would be cool for sure. And, and you're right. I think Pucifer would be Pucifer. Sorry, I'm getting a little tongue tied. I think sure. that would be the project to certainly dig into just because it, it does lend to that ability to really tweak and experiment. Yeah. Yeah. That's not happening with tool. <laughs> no, I mean, we can barely get them <laughs> themselves to do one. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Did you guys see this week that they said they confirmed that vocals were recorded? Yes. No, I did not. Yes, I yeah. did. That's a big deal. 
Um, so I think 2019, and then they said there's a bunch of uh, dates being booked for 2019. So I feel like it actually might be the year. We're going to have a cool year. There's going to be a lot of good stuff coming out this next year. Yes. Insert, so. insert the Ron Paul gif of him with the rainbow background. This is happening. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I want to I want a gif of you doing that, Paul. <laughs> that was oh, awesome. This is happening. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work on that. Um, I, All right, me, let's hear those honorable mentions. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to fly through them real quick. Um, and I didn't necessarily pair them up with anybody, although... I think any of these people, I would love to see work with the weekend. I don't know if you guys listen to the weekend, but yeah, good stuff. Not, um, not a big fan for me, but yeah, but I, I I think there's some talent there and some experimental uh, room. Um, but anyway, Quincy Jones, uh, Rick Rubin, and Dr. Dre. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just kind of fall outside of my normal range, I and mean, they all have their their place, obviously, but. Uh, Quincy Jones, it's one of those things too, where like, I mean, you talk about like baby face or anybody, you know, once you've learned how to produce, you're, you're still a producer and there's still people out there doing it. It's whether or not the, the, the limelight is kind of on that genre or the, that group at the moment, but there's still people out there putting killer stuff out, you know? So I, I have no doubt that somebody like a Quincy Jones or whatever could just take a band and run with it. Yeah. He's, have you seen his documentary on Netflix? Mm-mm. You must. It is okay. fantastic. Um, I, I squeezed it in my schedule and watched it over the course of three days. I could have sat through the whole thing, but I didn't want to do that just because I had things to get done. But um, mm-hmm. it, it just the impact he's had through the decades, it's incredible. Did you know one of his <clears> first <throat> songs he ever produced was It's My Party and I'll Cry If I Want To? No. I did not. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> floored me yeah so i mean that's that's how early that that starts you know and and you know just mm-hmm. him talking about his childhood and and what he was destined to become and then you know his dad moved him out of the south side of chicago and and they moved west and just that's you know where he was able to change his uh path and and it's turned into a, a great story for him you know and and just the amount of artists that have been able to collaborate with him let alone his own you know, compositions by themselves that, you know, scores that he's written and jazz and just incredible. Um, Just the utmost respect for, for Quincy. And, um, you know, I'm really thankful that he's still around. You know, they were able to produce this documentary Mm -hmm. here in the past couple of years. And his daughter Rashida was a camera person and, you know, kind of helped shape that story. And um, just very, very cool. And there's parts where you get emotional, just seeing like there's one spot where, um, he sees some names that he's worked with and he realizes that, you know, <laughs> he's the only one standing. And, yes. you know, it just goes to show how, you know, times do change for everyone. And and, and even though he's had a prime, he still has a, a you know, high seat in, in his work and his efforts. And, uh-huh. you know, he still does um, have a say in, in certain things. So that's, you know, he's not retiring because he loves what he does. And that's completely enviable, you know. So uh-huh. sorry to go on and on, but definitely no, ch- check that out. Right. Um, you know, and of course, Rick Rubin is another name that I absolutely love as well. He's what he's did, what he's did, what he's done with uh, with certain, uh, you know, of course, you know, the rap in the 80s and and even Red Hot Chili Peppers and things like that. He just really has a, a unique approach to things. He certainly uh, does a fantastic uh, job of 
letting the group kind of take their own liberties. And then he just lends an opinion and, and really helps them kind of guide themselves too. So totally cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, um, I'd watch it anyway because you told me, Paul, but what would, what would really sell me on that documentary mm-hmm. is if Wolfman Jack could convince me real quick. Have you seen the Quincy Jones documentary? I sound more like yeah. Marge Shot, Howdy Doll. <laughs> <laughs> quick, no, say no, something no, racist. <laughs> I'm good. <there. laughs> You're not Marge Shot without it. Wazowski. Hey, I'm going to throw a little known fact at you guys. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Rick Rubin and Quincy Jones produced Super Bowl Shuffle. No, they did not. <laughs> true, wow. true story. Look it up. <laughs> pretty, I'm pretty sure I read that. Yeah. The, the amount of money spent on producers, apparently. <laughs> That's all. I just can't believe they work so well with Brian Eno. This is crazy. <laughs> no wonder oh, it was so awesome. popular. Yes, well... You had the fridge looming over there. I thought so. I thought it was the fridge, but clearly it was not. <laughs> uh, why? Uh, sorry, just another tangent, real quick. Why has no other team ever done a song <laughs> since then? They realized how embarrassing it was. I don't know. I know, but man, it was like. Yeah, but they mismanagement. They didn't they do that for charity, and then all the money came up missing. The people <laughs> that did it took the money. Didn't it? Didn't even go Oops. to where it was supposed to go. That don't take that as right. gospel, but I'm pretty sure I heard the a story about that. I have to look that up and see. But okay. we're it, not taking it as gospel after you just told me who produced it. <laughs> so it's okay. Oh, that is gospel. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Anyway, so uh, you want to move on to reviews? Don't I get an honorable mention? <laughs> no, Tony <laughs> took two, so you're out. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. I, and I chimed in too much. No, um, I, you know, I didn't really stay on on the course of various producers too much. I mean, you you mentioned Rick Rubin and and Quincy, so that kind of takes some spots out of my limelight there. But Steve Albini um, is one that I really admire as mm-hmm. well. And I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with his dis- discography, but uh, it's it's hefty uh, to say the least. Uh, based yeah. out of Chicago, he's worked with the Pixies. He's worked with um, a band called Neurosis that I really enjoy. Um, I'm yeah, John Spencer Blues Explosion. Uh, I'm just kind of going through the list here and just picking a few as we go. Um, and I believe he had some work with uh, he he contributed to uh, uh, one of Nirvana's albums, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it was Nevermind. I can't remember, but he yeah. didn't take any royalties from it. Um, I know there was some talk of that. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean he's been at this for years, and and uh, I, I know he's pretty selective on what he works with. He wants to believe in it and. Um, a lot of times it's stuff that a lot of people haven't heard and that's kind of where his passions lie. He likes the, the underdog. He likes the, uh, the raw nature of, of, uh, artists and bands. And, and so I gravitate to that because I myself really like, um, just raw energy and, and trying things that aren't necessarily so polished and clean too, even though I end up doing that a lot and producing things and kind of shaping it up. But you know, when it comes down to it, if I'm playing with a band, I definitely like to get just the room and just all four or five people just loud and, and blaring and having a good time. So um, I can certainly appreciate his approach yeah. is what I'm getting at. I, I absolutely agree with that. He did uh, Helmet. Yeah. Meantime, uh, he was the audio uh, engineer for that. And um, so that's where I knew him from. And I, I think he did a bunch of of things in the early 90s. Um and uh, the breeders mm-hmm. with Kim Deal, I think he did something mm-hmm. on that one. Um, 
but that name sounded really familiar. And I, you know, I mean, I misspoke. So, he he more or less was uh, an audio engineer. So forgive me. Audio engineers also mm-hmm. have a, a role too because they have to place mics. They have to um, certainly kind of shape sound based off of you know using physics even like distance of mics in relation to the instrument or the speaker and things like that. So um, you know that's where mm-hmm. I I got confused. But you know when it comes down to it. Uh, there's a team of people that uh, certainly play roles in the con- contribution to the album. The producer, a lot of times, is more sitting back and not necessarily tracking the band as much as listening and providing feedback and you know, redo that take, things like that. Um, but you know, there, there's vital mm-hmm. roles for for everybody. So um, I retract my production yeah. cred, but you know, still he's a a, a viable you know member yeah. in the audio industry. He's listed as as a music producer on several sites. I think you're maybe they're used interchangeably. There. Yeah, yeah. But I I remember looking at um I was just kind of after I had picked my picks I like to go and see kind of what the top ten lists are and there was a like a top fifty list by N- NME and uh he was listed as one of the top producers. Okay, all right, all right. I th- I think that completes the challenge this week. So here's the deal. <clears throat> so I'm going to issue a challenge, but we're really not going to do this challenge for two shows. So this will be for episode 16, because the next episode, we will be doing our top whatever list for the previous year, and hopefully putting that out there and getting some responses from some of our listeners. Um, I know Metalhead will will chime in, Um, but we'll we'll do that as we go, and, and we'll come back with that next week. But in two weeks, here's the challenge. You guys ready? Yes. This is so simple that it's difficult. So imagine that you guys are in the UFC, you are MMA fighters. What is your walkout song? Yes. Okay. Uh So we will pick one song. Tony will pick 10 and we'll go from, no, we can do one song, one honorable mention. That's the rules. Yes. Okay. Um, And this is, I've been thinking about this because it's so, it's going to be so difficult. We can be all over the map for this. Yeah. I know. That's very cool. Yeah. Mine will so be episode 16. Super Bowl Shuffle, most likely. I'm not kidding you. When we were at one of the shows, a guy came out to Miley Cyrus the Climb. <laughs> nice. It was jarring when that song came on. I can't remember who it was, and I got I to gotta remember that. And then uh, one, one great story was, um, gosh, I can't remember who the fighter was. I think it was... Um, It'll come to me in just a minute. But they called him and asked for his song so they could prepare it. Well, somebody else had the same name. And so they called this person, and they gave him a, just the title of a song. And so when he came out, it was not the song that he would have chosen because oh, wow. they talked to somebody by the same name. Uh, I think it was Rory McDonald. I'll have to look that up. But don't quote me, but I think it's the <laughs> nice. right name. So. I do have a question for you, Foggy, <laughs> since um, you know you mentioned that. Uh, when when mm-hmm. you've been to several MMA events, um, UFC, so when you mm-hmm. hear like well like your favorite fighters and you, you hear their walkout song, I mean, how does that make mm-hmm. you feel? I mean, does that really fire you up to see that guy going down the aisle and hearing that tune with them? I will say this: I, I would if anybody has any even the smallest bit of interest in going to a live UFC event, go. It it's a spectacle. Um, every arena they have has, you know, like the large Mm -hmm. screens in the middle. So as you're waiting for the next fight, 
there's always something going on. There's always this video with this, and the music is loud. It's, I mean, it's not like quite like a concert, but it is loud, and they have great videos just kind of pumping you up. And then when that song comes out and it's a fighter you love, I, you really do get into it. Yeah, it, it, it pumps you up in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the fighters are usually getting loose and dancing as they come out. Um, but it is really a spectacle, and I think everybody should go at some point to see the high production value that goes on in one of those events. Sweet. It's very cool. Yeah, and even on a on a local level, like Coliseum Combat produces some really good fights here in Kokomo. Mm-hmm. And um and they they play music now, it's not as grand as uh coming out from you know, in a stadium or, or in Las Vegas, but um it's still it's still you get that feel. I mean mm-hmm. and then and sometimes it's funny too, like the, the last guy I saw came out to the Rocky theme song. Mm-hmm. But he was also he had his crew people with him dressed like you know like rocky's uncle and and cuss <laughs> or not cuss but uh, uh you know um so it was interesting it was it was pretty much a show but uh yeah i think that i've never been to the, like the large events that you've been to steve but the the small events even you get that feel you just you know i it's people going into battle there's something about that i think yeah i told um we, I'm going to talk a little bit later, probably at the end of the show, but we were in Toronto last week okay. and um, we were there and, and they turned the, the lights down in the arena, basically, except for the light on the ring. And uh, I just looked at Marianne and I'm just like, this is the most primal thing ever. These are two guys trying to best the other and there's a crowd of 20,000 people watching, like surrounding them watching this thing. Um, just, I think that too helps to amp up the energy and then the music, you oh, know yeah. how music affects you. Um, yep. You add those things together, and man, it is it's something special. Two men yep. enter, one man leave, it's like Thunderdome. <laughs> it's yeah, it's like that. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to uh, the task at hand, which was uh, Ice Cube's new album. It dropped actually uh, not Friday, but the previous Friday, so it's been out for a little over a week. Mm-hmm. Um, has everybody had a chance to dig in? Yes. And check it out and find out what's corrupt. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Everything. JPP, what is corrupt? Everything. Absolutely everything. Everything. That's right. Um, initial listening, what'd you guys think? Tony, you want to go first? Yeah, since I'm, I'll be the black cloud of the bunch here. Um, I, no, I did like it, actually. And Ice Cube was one of my favorite voices, um, especially in in NWA, and I felt like he had a strong solo career. But um, here's what I'll say about it. Is like, I don't know if you guys remember when Jordan came back and played for the Wizards. Oh yeah, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and like every once in a while there'd be a breakaway and he'd dunk it or he'd get a block or whatever and it was that's what we wanted was that flashback of Jordan and but you had to watch a whole Wizards game <laughs> to get it <laughs> and and I feel like I just listened to a whole album to get a little bit of the you know that vibe back um, and here's what I'll say about it. it is very it is solid it is Ice Cube through and through there's I, I don't hate it by any means and I would listen to it again actually. But I'm so um, snobbish now with like lyrics and and Eminem, you know, has spoiled me as far as flow goes. It feels like his style didn't change much. There's a couple songs in there mm-hmm. um, that were good uh, in the sense of like I felt like it changed, but for the most part, it felt like that could have been dropped on cassette tape, you know, in 1989. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that, uh, and I'll weigh in on you guys' stuff. But if I and I'll just go ahead and give my rating so you guys can just weigh in, but. I'd say it's probably about a 3.75 for me. 
That's still good. So I know you guys loved it. I saw the text string. So <laughs> go ahead. Tell me how I'm wrong, please. <laughs> no, not at all. You're, you're good. Foggy, do you want to go or do you want me to go? Ooh, seven, five. Um, well, I, I'm probably going to give a little higher rating. Um, and your comment about, you know, it could have been on cassette tape. That's partially why I loved it. Because I, it's, you know, no surprise that I have not loved current hip hop and, and rap recently, um, other than Eminem. Um, I, there, back in the day, I kind of hate saying that too to kids at school. They always say, oh, back in the day. Yeah, well, I'm old, <laughs> so I can say back in the day. Um, yeah. But I remember when uh, all these bands came out, um, and, and it was about kind of a, a revolution in a way. Um, they came out and um, they had something to say. They spoke up against political things and societal things. It was a real revolution, like NWA and, and Public Enemy sure. and things. And so I remember um, when the, the new wave started after that initial group, you know, Chuck D came in and said, you know, the rap music used to be CNN, and they turned it into Cartoon <laughs> Network. Yep. And so mm. I kind of felt like a lot of the music, um, and that's not bad. If that's what you want your music to be, that's fine. It just wasn't for me. So when I heard this, and it was kind of a return to a similar sound, um, and yeah. he was railing on, on political things right now and societal things with uh, drugs and pills and those kind of things, it really mm-hmm. kind of took me back. And I, I love that because I had missed that. Um, haven't had good public enemy in, in quite a while. Um, and certainly this just goes right back to late 80s, early 90s. And um, I really dug the sound. And there were some songs that I really really liked and we'll talk about those in a minute i want to get uh paul's take on that but uh yeah your your comment about the cassette tape is why i loved it it's why it kind of pushed it over for me in the 90s when ice cube was was big and and you know snoop dogg was breaking out and things like that i certainly enjoyed a lot of the music but i was so ingrained in the guitar and focused on metal for uh you know trying to perfect my craft if you will um, I didn't listen to it as heavily as many did at that time. So uh, I'm I'm a bit disconnected in that I, again, didn't listen to it frequently, but I definitely heard a lot of the standout tunes. You know, today was a good day, things like that. And I've always enjoyed Ice Cube. You know, I loved his acting and I love, uh, uh, you know, NWA and Eazy-E and things like that. I, I definitely enjoyed through the years too. So listening to this gave me a throwback as well. And when I listened to this, I thought about us reviewing the Cypress Hill record and how it didn't really strike us as, you know, a nice, fresh change of pace. I mean, yes, I enjoyed it, but um, this definitely was more energizing to me. And I think a big piece of it was the subject material is more contemporary, where Cypress Hill definitely kind of stayed along the same vein, you know, keeping it casual, talking about, you know, getting high and things like that. Cube certainly has some um, nostalgia in that regard, but, you know, he's talking about current events, too. You know, he's letting people know where he stands on the state of the world. And I I appreciated it in, in the way that he delivered it. You know, we kind of harped on Uncle Al about Ministries uh, Americant, but, you know, that was definitely a loud get-off-my-lawn mm-hmm. kind of approach to me. You know, and I just kind of felt like there was a variety in, in this particular um, collection of tunes. Um, you know, Arrest the President mm-hmm. had a really uh, 
you know, good groove to it. I love the bass line and chase down the bully. I thought that was just very cool, very fresh. You know, you said you could hear it on cassette. I can hear, um, you know, what you're saying, but I could also hear a lot of newer production elements in there too. So um, I thought that was really good. I liked um, Firewater. I thought that was kind of fun. Uh, Ain't Got No Haters with Too Short. I was mm-hmm. like, wow, I haven't heard him in a while. Yeah, and, you know, of that course, nice. he, he's older now. His voice just changed a little. I had to listen kind of hard to see if I could recognize him. And uh, it, it was a nice, uh, you know, hey, mm-hmm. welcome back, Too Short. I haven't heard, heard, you, heard you in a while. Hope you're doing well, basically, is where I'm at with it. But, uh, um, you know, I'll go for the gusto and say my favorite song, of course, was that new Funkadelic. Um, you know, it definitely stands out from the rest of the, the album in terms of it's more lighthearted and fun. But I'm I'm a huge Bernie Worrell fan. I mean, yeah. Moog bass lines for days. I know he's he passed away in 2016, but that certainly plays tribute uh-huh. to him and his role in the Parliament Funkadelic. Um, and just the lyrics are hilarious. You know, Uncle George, the King of Orge, or however he put it. And uh, you know, just just a lot of uh, um, you know fun parts to it. And as I was listening to it and kind of getting ready for the episode, I, I realized oh, I'm I'm totally kind of bouncing here. I. You know, it just kind of was subconscious. So um, it, that was yeah. a nice welcome tune for, for me. I've listened to it off and on all week, but just haven't listened to it for a couple of days. And then I, I popped it back on and I, you know, caught myself bobbing. So, um, you know, I, I overall, uh, yeah. I enjoyed the album. I will say that um, I wanted to look at and see what other uh, people were saying that are kind of more deeply in tune with hip hop and most of the reviews are pretty good. Um, I looked on Metacritic and XXL. They griped about the consistency of sound. They felt like it needed kind of an outside person to make it more consistent because it went all over the place with styles of rap. But I actually kind of liked that. I feel like, you know, in, in Ice Cube's library and, and experience in music, he's been able to see and, and hear many things and he's done his thing for years and you know he's able to experiment and try some some stuff you know what i mean i mean if his flow is consistent but there was some kind right. of modern you know like the faster hi-hats and things like that that you know you didn't hear on albums past with him you know he certainly kind of played into that a little bit too so uh-huh. you know i don't have any problem with it I, I just feel like he you know wanted to get his message across and he also wanted to try some new things so there's there's no uh you know disregard on on my behalf for that at all right yeah. I think you yeah. uh, you missed the the best song. Which one's that? Can can you dig it? Can you dig it? And yes. I mean, are you kidding me? It started off with airplane lines, <laughs> straight from the movie, <laughs> which was amazing. Um, and then I, I um, going through his life through the decades, mm-hmm. it's so uh-huh. cool because you know he's he's railing on these things like he did in the past, but then at the end he's like going through his life and that he's changed and he's this different place in his life. I thought that was really cool. Um, a, a cool song that he did that. It was almost like, um, oh gosh, what's the Eminem song off of uh, Mathers 2? Um, where he goes through this, the... Oh yeah, I guess his old uh, albums and stuff like that. Well, and he went he through can... the stages of his life where he was young and he got picked on and then he started getting some confidence oh, yeah. and then the next thing you know, he's owning people. Um, it's kind of yes. like that. You see him from beginning to end and where he's at now and he's in this different place. Um, and I thought that was really cool in the, you know, in the overall scheme of the album. And then I also want to yeah. go back to um, a cup. You know, Tony, we we talk a lot. We love the phrasing, 
and, and the way mm-hmm. they do things. And I love repetition of sound, I love alliteration and assonance. And there's a couple of spots uh, where he hits it, a um, couple lines, for the record you affected, who you elected is so septic, so full of shit, I can't accept it. But it's that repetition of sound yes. that just flows so well. And I felt like, yeah. you know, he's still got it. I mean, those kind of things really hit for me. Yeah, and I mean, on that too, that's that's... I liked the blend of it. So I, there's no, that's really not me saying I hated it, but exactly what you're saying. Like I kind of wanted him to go there more, you know? Um, but I will say too, one thing I like, you know, back in NWA, like you said, it was a movement and they were actually, you know, they were railing against something. Um, so it was an honest take. And I think I like the fact where I can't remember what song it was, but he's talking about like basically, you know, how he's going to die is from too much salt, too much sugar, <clears throat> you know, too yes. much something, too much liquor. He's going to die from the good life. And sometimes, you know, you achieve all this fame and then you still want to rap like you're like you're still like in the streets struggling, you know, and I don't and there's a disconnect sometimes from that. Um, you're still the voice to represent for those for those people in those situations. But to embrace it. And also to me, it's almost like a little bit of beacon of hope. Like, you know, it's not cool necessarily to die young by a bullet, you know? Right. I think the song you're talking about is ain't no haters. Basically saying, um, basically saying, you know, that, and I think he even mentions he's got maids and waiters, um, that he's now in this (laughs) different place. So, but I love the honesty there. You know, and kind of what you're talking about, he can still be the voice for those people and still rail against the establishment and all those kind of things. But he's definitely in a different place than he was when he was with NWA. And I kind of, I thought that was refreshing. It was cool. It was introspective in a way that you don't see a lot nowadays. Yeah. And clever to say, this is how I'm going to die. Like the first, when he said too much salt, too much sugar, I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And it was very cool. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Paul, did you give it a number rating? I didn't, but I'm going to give it a four, you know, for sure. Okay. At least a four. Um, will I listen to it again? Most certainly. I think I'm going to have my wife check out that new Funkadelic. Um, <laughs> I love Ain't Got No Haters. I love, you know, of course, Star Wars. But uh, mm-hmm. sorry, y'all. Ain't Got No Haters. Everybody love black-ass Darth Vader. <laughs> love it. And then you and your woman love <laughs> yeah. to see me coming. Come through bumping, little kids running, chasing me down like the ice cream truck. Only people yeah, old enough good. as we are to know what the hell the ice cream truck is. <laughs> that's right. I need a quick timeout. I got to use the restroom. Be right back. Okay. Right. Let's make a song for Tony while he goes pee. Tony had to potty. Tony had to potty. Tony had to potty. Okay, thank you. Tony had to potty. <laughs> Tony had to potty. That's a. You could have done a cover of like Rock Your Body. (laughs) Tony had to potty. 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 We need to make this our theme song each week. Whatever the outtakes are, it becomes a song. (laughs) That's a good idea. (laughs) All right. I'm going to give this, um, gosh, I don't know. I was going to say about a four, but I think I'm going to give it a 4.5, just uh, a nostalgic feel. Um, I'll let you know in a couple weeks if I'm still uh, digging listening to it. So that's where I'm at right now. Cool. Okay. Good stuff. This was a, this was a fun review. I, I appreciate you guys suggesting this one. Yeah, and we all actually liked it. So Yeah. It's solid. 
Definitely. I don't even know what's coming out um, for episode 16. So if everybody just wants to look for that on uh, social media, we'll let you know what we're going to review next um, because we'll have two weeks worth of music to deal with. So Uh we'll let you know. All right, fellas. um, Last week, actually, we're going to do last two weeks. So um, what's been going on? What you listening to? JPP? I listen to, um, really, uh, I listen to a lot of my own stuff. I've been busy kind of creating again. And, uh, of course, I talk synthwave a lot. But I got real nostalgic and started digging into some break beats and using some amen breaks. So it was kind of like synthwave meets jungle, drum and bass type stuff. Um, Got a tune going there. I sent Tony a link to a, a tune last week, too. And... Um, he had some nice things to say about that, so so thanks, Tony. Um, yeah, you know I'll, I'll look for it to be pirated and distributed here in the next couple of days. Thanks to him. <laughs> That's absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've been uh, you know just really kind of digging in and, and having some some fun there. Uh, funny enough, I came across a, a rabbit hole on YouTube today. Uh, there was a a, a, a video titled. Um, you know, it was, uh, John Mayer's neon. It was saying how, why the song was so complex. And I've never listened to John Mayer a ton. I've seen him live. He's a great musician. Uh, whoops. I hit the microphone. Great musician has a great live band. Um, but it, at the time when he was out, it was kind of poppy and, and overplayed. So I, I got bored quickly, but, um, just listening to this guy break down the complexity of the riff kind of put me in a mood to check out some of his stuff. And so as a guitar player, I really dove in and listened to his improvisational music and, and uh, just really enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm definitely going to go dig a little deeper too. As I understand, I think he's playing with guys from the Grateful Dead. Um, so that that's kind of interesting that he's improvising and, and kind of doing that jam band scenario. I think he's a good fit for it because he's a great musician. Um mm-hmm. What else? Oh, uh, you know, of course, I saw the the new Avengers trailer launch since we've last spoke. And, uh, you know, musically speaking, when the title sequence comes in, chills, fantastic. I, I'm a sucker for good score, but it's just deep and full. So um, kind of put that on replay a few times just to hear that little piece alone. So, um, you know, definitely looking forward to that. We watched Black Panther this week. Also a great score and soundtrack as well so um you know marvel cinematic universe is doing a fantastic job with visuals and sound so you know when i get a chance to pair those two together i'm, I'm all for it so uh probably going to do a marathon in uh, 2019 with uh the various marvel movies in sequential order until captain marvel comes out and then until um you know adventures endgame so i can kind of make sure i've got all the, the pieces of the puzzle somewhat um, jogging in my memory a little more recently and, and I can enjoy the, the uh, final Avengers movie here and see what happens after that. All right. I'm going to just uh, step in here for a second. Um, not just speaking about the audio, but um, we were, we've been talking about producers this whole time. And uh, Kevin Feige from mm-hmm. Marvel Studios, to put together all these movies and make them work together cohesively, to come to this you know, fruition of Endgame mm-hmm. is an absolute monumental task that they have done. Um, it, it's exceptional. I mean, it's not one album. This is like all movies put together um, seamlessly. So that's yeah. kind of like the ultimate production. 
Precisely. Yeah, no, and, and the fact that everything stays so consistent, you know, up to this point. Of course, had a starting point with Iron Man, but it's just built up and it's I don't know about you, but every time I left a Marvel movie, I'm like, I think that's my favorite Marvel movie. I know. And you know, they, they all lead into the next too, which is brilliant. And those little teases, everybody mm-hmm. says, Oh, we're getting tired of those after credit scenes. No, I'm not. No. <laughs> Bring them on. I love them. So yep, exactly. Yeah. You know, and I will miss Stan Lee's cameos, you know. He's, uh, he's got know, two I know more. He did a couple more. Yep. Yeah. And I'll I'll be bummed after that. Have you seen Spider Verse? Not yet. Spider Verse is an absolutely amazing movie. And I'm not gonna say animated movie, simply amazing movie. And Stanley's in it. You almost get choked up when you hear him. Um it is absolutely beautiful. Very cool. And my daughter wants to see it, so I think I may take her to see that during the holiday break absolutely do it it is wonderful all right tony what was up last week um, i was really heavily into um uh i've mentioned him before but dermot kennedy i mentioned him during our sad song episode and probably some other places um but i just kind of got in another rabbit hole of like you know this guy is so good i'm gonna go watch like his tiny desk concert and yeah, you know, I, I listen to him on Spotify a lot, but I started to get into the video side of things too, and um, it was—I don't know. Oh, and then also he—he he covered a song that I really love, um, called "Young and Beautiful" by Lana Del Rey on the uh, Great Gatsby soundtrack, and so you know my head nearly mm-hmm. exploded because those two worlds collided, and um, so that really pretty heavily into that, and then to uh, kind of counterbalance that, I listened actually to a lot of Ministry. Um, and some older Soundgarden, and it's kind of got nostalgic with um, pretty much like the late 90s, uh, mid to late 90s stuff. And um, and also, because we were reviewing rap, we were talking about producers. Um, Richard E. Meyer um, produced a song called The Super Bowl Shuffle. And so... <laughs> that was a four team effort unbelievable <laughs> no but for real <laughs> no wonder I, it was I am so actually good <laughs> putting out the true information richard e meyer produced super bowl <laughs> shuffle so but actually uh, i just want to throw that in there so we could kind of book in the whole thing with that but um dermot kennedy i mean everybody needs to check this guy out he's awesome and um moments past is a really good song so anyway i'll leave it at that do some do some youtubing cool richard e meyer got it <laughs> I can't wait. Yes. I'm pretty sure that he wrote the music to the Showbiz Pizza tunes. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. He's his 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 catalog is large. So, oh, snapperoonie. All right. Well, um, you know, such a music kind of podcast, but I've got nothing. Well, I got one small music thing to talk about, but over the course of the last week and a half or whatever, mm-hmm. um. I took a couple of days off from work, took two days off. I haven't, I've got like 120 vacation days built up because I never take off any Jeez. time from work. We finally decided we're going to take two days off. Um, and we went to Toronto for four days and I'm going to give a big kudos to Canada and Toronto. I could live there. <laughs> um, it was truly an amazing experience, uh, staying there for four days. What they say about Canadian people being super kind is Absolutely, 100% true. Nicest people I've ever met. Um, they do say A a lot, which was really endearing for me. I've uh, been a huge uh, fan of Canada since I was a kid and fell in love with hockey and all that. So it was kind of really exciting for me to get to go there. Um, 
from the music standpoint, this was really cool. So we, on Thursday, went to uh, a Toronto Maple Leafs game. And uh, we're used to going to the United Center to see the Blackhawks play. And they've got Jim Cornelison, who just belts out an amazing national anthem. And everybody in the crowd goes crazy. Um, it's like a spectacle. So we go there, and of course it's an American team, Canadian team, so they do both anthems. But when they hit the Canadian anthem, it was a a lovely lady singer. She did a fantastic job. But the entire crowd sang the anthem. It was beautiful. Mm. It was really cool to see because we don't don't do that here as much. Um, And one of the Canadian guys I was sitting by said, you know, we know more about your government and about you than you guys do. One time the uh, the sound system cut out, and so we couldn't hear the anthem, and we sang your anthem. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's pretty wow. cool. <laughs> Again, seriously nice folks, uh-huh. you know. And uh, so anyway, it was just a beautiful experience. We, we went to that game. We went to the Hockey Hall of Fame, the Ripley's Aquarium, all kinds of cool things you could see in Toronto, an awesome art gallery. Um, I'd love to talk about what we saw in that art gallery uh, for an hour. It was one of the most... Uh, amazing exhibits. Uh, Marianne, who is an art guru, was hesitant about the the actual thing that we were going to see, and she came out and she was just blown away. It was so cool. It was truly amazing. Um, maybe I will talk about it later. But anyway, so then we finished off the week with the UFC, uh, talking about those fight songs. We got to have a personal meeting with Max Holloway, the That's champion. Awesome. Um, so it was one of the best vacations that we've ever had. We came away with a, just a wonderful experience. Can't wait to go back to Canada yeah, again. I was happy for you guys. And what a fight too, man. I mean, Max just dominated. So 294 significant strikes in one fight in four rounds. Yeah. Incredible. He looked like he could have gone another four rounds too. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. He's, he's really amazing. What a great fight. But I was, that was so great to see you guys have such a good experience with, yeah, from hockey to art to MMA and UFC stuff. That was yeah, really it was cool. almost like the perfect, it really was like the perfect vacation. And the place we stayed was just amazing. So um, definitely going to head back there at some point. And now we are at the point of the show. We're winding down. Paul, where can we find you? <laughs> Dramatic. Well... <laughs> I'm taking a little bit of a social media break, uh, at least through the end of the year, for my own kind of detox and just stay clear and focus on family and stuff like that. I will be monitoring the Wanderings and Wool Gathering Facebook page as well as the uh, Instagram account. So look for me there. Uh, I would like to give a quick shameless uh, self-plug, if that's cool. So uh, Tony mentioned the Tiny Desk concert in his uh, discussion a minute ago. Uh, last month, I had the pleasure, uh, a college uh, buddy of mine was looking for an audio engineer to clean up some some mixes and uh, kind of boost some levels and, and do some sound design for some video projects he was working on. So uh, I responded to his inquiry and, and we talked and he sent me over three, uh, one of which uh, basically this comedian in L.A., his name, I'm going to butcher it, Joe Quazala. Uh, he, on his 31st birthday, he released 31 videos. So mm-hmm. they produced them and then they just scheduled them to go live every 13 minutes on YouTube. And I got to touch three of them and, and work on the audio. Now, I will say, if you're listening to the podcast and go to the show notes, uh, you know, some of them are NSFW. So click on your own <laughs> risk. That's certainly, you know, some, uh, 
some humor for kind of like late night comedy, if mm-hmm. you will, and uh, adult in nature. But uh, one of them that we did was called the Itty Bitty Bathroom Concert. And uh, guys in the bathroom doing what anybody does, you know, after heavy meal and all of a sudden a band barges in and starts performing nice. and uh it's it's pretty funny um you know so i'll put a link to that particular video in the show notes but uh it felt good to, to do that it was a fun challenge and uh it was nice to see my name in the creds as the uh, sound mixer so um you know i was really really happy with that 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 went live so cool. that's it that's my plug kudos thanks man t-bags yeah um i'm along the same lines with paul i mean i i I'd like to see more social interaction on, on those two channels. So um, I also will be posting and monitoring on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and then also speaking of Paul and going back to what we listened to, I, I was privileged enough to get a track from Paul. Um, and so, you know, go back, listen to his stuff, look for some good things to come. Thanks for sharing that, Paul. Hey, no problem. Yeah, man, it was a, a lot of fun. And I always like throwing things at you because uh, not because you give me glowing feedback consistently, but you'll let me know where I where I screw up too. So I, you know, I always want the candid feedback from you. I am teabags, so yeah, <laughs> that's right. And you'll you'll give me fifty honorable mentions on who could have done it better too. <laughs> exactly. Careful, careful mentioning feeding and teabags at the same time. <laughs> I see no problem with it. But go ahead. <laughs> well, it's, it's not after midnight yet, so we're good. <laughs> nice Germans nice reference. Stevie D, where are you at? <laughs> I'm sitting at my t- oh um you can find me Twitter and Instagram Foggy's Pal and uh, you can find me on Facebook as well. Um, also editing over at uh, Blue HQ Media we have two sites Sports Media Pass and Break the Fourth um, doing a kind of a young up and coming thing but um, making a lot of waves I think a lot of great writers producing a lot of great stuff so you guys ought to check that out. Um, I had something else to say, and now I just, I drew a blank. (laughs) That is exactly what just happened in my brain. (laughs) I wish people could see Paul's face, too. He's pushing the keys. (laughs) I gotta get you. It's a dramatic performance. <laughs> we got to start producing some video for this show. Oh, absolutely. Yes, indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, that wraps up episode 14. I hope it was worth your while. I certainly had a great time doing it. We will see you next week with our end of the year extravaganza. And then uh, episode 16, we'll be back with our walkout songs. And uh, I hope to see you back. Come back to see us again. Bye now. <laughs>